Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles open up the book of Romans, chapter 8. We may be, we're going to go back into 7 a little bit. The last part, if I say the last part of 7, I'm going to read verses 14, chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, just so we get a little bit, bit of background here. As far as the history goes with the church, though, I know you guys have heard me say this, but I think it's something always worth repeating. Um, the church in Rome was not planted by the Apostle Paul. The church in Rome was actually planted by Jews who were eyewitnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, a Jew, Jews planting this church inside of Rome, I mean, they're planting this thing right smack in the center of the lion's den. Gentiles didn't go along with Jews. Jews didn't get along with Gentiles. Seems a little even contrary to Judaism for them to even plant the church in Rome as if they were trying to reach people. And it wasn't that they denied Christ. They, they were Jewish Christians. They were Messianic Jews is what... We call them today. But Messianic Jews still had a lot of the law that they were holding on to. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, basically for three reasons. Two of those reasons are important. One of them is less important. Those two reasons were when you have a church that is planted by Jews but is reaching Gentiles, you're bringing two completely different belief systems under the same roof. So you have the Jew who is holding on to some of Judaism while accepting Christ. Then you have the Roman who is holding to, for the most part, the Greco-Roman pantheism, polytheism. Uh, pantheism, God is nature. That's why they had so many of them. Polytheism, um, they believe that there are many gods. Um, so when someone comes to know Jesus Christ, it's just like someone who doesn't really have a religious belief. If someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ comes to know Jesus Christ, it takes a while to work the world out of them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and there are many times through that growth and through their learning that they will actually take what it is that they've learned about Christ and real life, and they'll begin to kind of merge those things together. Well, in some, ki- in some cases, Christ becomes the, the superior priority. And in some cases, their habits and lifestyles are the, are the supreme authority. Not any different than today, to be honest, quite honest with you. I mean, even someone who gives their life to Christ, it doesn't matter how old they are as a Christian. If they're Christians, <clears throat> Christians, hey, I'm just going to say it. We're still selfish to at least some extent. I mean, we could, we could work selfishness out of our lives throughout our lives. We're still selfish individuals. We still want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Um, I bring up again, you know, I've... I get upset, and, and it's the Lord, he's going, really? I get upset sitting in, um, I think it was just before we did Betty's funeral service. That morning, Zach was like, I'm going to get something to eat. I'm like, you know what, I'm starving too. It was pretty early. I was like, I'm going to go get something to eat too. Sitting sit in line at McDonald's in Hillsborough for about 20 minutes, didn't move, one car spot. I had room to back up and move out. Went to Hardee's, because I'd never seen anybody at Hardee's. Three cars in line, 20 minutes for me to get food. And I'm like, this is supposed to be fast food. What in the world's going on? We want what we want, how we want it, and when we want it. Um, and and it, takes, it takes a lifetime 
for Jesus to come in and kind of help us to make other people the priority, to make other missions and other um, other things besides ourselves the priority. Well, of course, the Jews are selfish because, I mean, the oracles of God came through them, right? I mean, who could be more important than them? That's the attitude the Jews had. And then the Gentiles come in. The way you guys have treated us for all this time, we're supposed to come here and respect you? So there is this right off the bat. It is it is an atmosphere that was created that was not a healthy atmosphere for a church. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, one, to bring unity to the church, but not just unity. Now, a lot of churches, that's their goal. Their goal is unity. I know some pastor friends who are like, man, I don't care as long as I don't hear about it. And I'm like, that's just not healthy for a church. <laughs> it's not healthy for a church. Um, the fact is, we as we as individuals are responsible to, I mean, and it's a huge responsibility. It, it, it still amazes me that God would give us as a church this responsibility. The responsibility to proclaim the gospel and within the gospel to proclaim the truth and to be able to do that in love. There was not a, not a lot of love going around at the time where the Jews and the Gentiles were competing over who was more important. So that first reason, bring unity to the church, not false unity, not that unity that says, well, I don't hear anybody screaming, so everything ought to be okay. But the kind of unity that actually gets involved on a molecular level so that people have a relationship and the church is actually a family. Family squabble? Yes. They even potentially hit each other? Yeah. How many of you had siblings? Did you ever hit a sibling? Did you hit them because you hated them? No. I mean, you could, you could become infuriated, as infuriated as you could get at some at somebody who's a family member. You still love them. You still want to see what's best for them in life. You still want to see them make the right choices. You still want to see them continue to be a contributing uh, factor to society. So not false unity, but real unity. I, I, I grew up in a church that I believe if that church had a motto, the motto would be, don't rock the boat. Doesn't matter what somebody may be doing. We just need to not rock the boat. Second thing that he wrote this letter to do. Not just to bring unity, but to bring unity through a doctrinal foundation. In other words, most of the problems that the church in Rome was having was because the Jews had a completely wrong idea about what Christianity was. They got the part that could have provided salvation to them, but they didn't get any other part of it. The Gentiles in the exact same boat. So the best way to deal with anything, and this is, I'll say anything, the best way to deal with anything as a Christian is by doctrinal understanding. A lot of people create so many difficulties, and they're the ones that are creating those difficulties in their life, and that is a lack of biblical knowledge, a lack of theology. Um, you don't have to be a seminary student in order to be able to understand what the Bible's telling us. But the Bible is, was given to us for the purpose of it actually being what the mo it being the chief motivator in life. It being the chief motivator in every decision that we make and everything that we do. Um, how many of you were completely content just being the way that you were? Well, we still had all of our problems, right? It's not like our problems went away when we come to be Christians, Right? 
And people think that church is really supposed to be about, we all go into a building, we'll sing a bunch of happy songs. If it's a good church, we'll hit you with a light, laser light show. We'll put all these different colors. We want to entertain you for an hour so you'll write a check. <clears throat> You've heard me say many times before, <clears throat> it costs money to keep the doors of a church open. There are electric bills to pay. There's my salary to pay. There's insurance to pay. Other utilities to pay. Ministries to pay for. Church isn't free. But it can't become about money. It can't be about money. It's got to be about people. I've said up here many times before, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. If you get your heart, he'll get your money too. Church has been turned into something completely opposite of what Jesus Christ intended it to be. It's supposed to be a body of like-minded believers who have given their life to Jesus Christ, who have a desire, one, to encourage and love their brothers and sisters in Christ, two, to reach the lost in the community. That's our purpose. If a church does not do those two things, it's not fulfilling its purpose. Well, as long as the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Romans were squabbling with each other, guess what they weren't doing? They weren't being a church to Rome. Third reason, this is just in case somebody ever asked you on a trivia night. Um, the Apostle Paul was trying to uh, raise support for a mission trip to Italy. Don't think that trip ever happened. Um, so that was the third reason. I say two of them are important. <clears throat> when we get into this, and I'm going to read these, these, these first verses in the end of chapter 17 to give us a little bit of a context of where we're at in the scripture. I want you to keep in mind the struggles that would have actually been going on inside this church with two different groups of people that had a core belief that was opposite from the core belief that they had previously. And these two groups of people being on completely opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to the religious beliefs that they had. So read with me verses 14 through 25 in chapter 7, and then we'll get started with the sermon. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, this is a passage, this is a particular passage of scripture uh, that you can take somebody to when it comes to our natural fallen state and our, and, and our sinfulness. One thing I cannot stand is when Christians act like they're perfect. We may be perfect when we stand before God, but that only comes through the imputed righteousness of Christ. His righteousness given to us, that payment paid on Calvary, 
this is the only way <clears throat> that we as individuals get to go to heaven. It's the only way that anybody gets to go to heaven. So it's the principle that sinfulness is in us. And this is the Apostle Paul, the, the man who wrote most of the books of the New Testament. <clears throat> Pretty huge feat <clears throat> for somebody to get their name in history and it, it to be around as long as it has. But the Apostle Paul himself, this man who converted, this man who used to carry papers that gave him the, the legal right to be able to prosecute and persecute Christians, this man who stood by and held the cloaks of the individuals who stoned Stephen to death, uh, this guy who spent most of his life as a Pharisee, most of it being trained by Gamaliel, I mean, this guy was a Jew to the core. And if a Jew was ever to walk up into a crowd of another Jews who believed in Judaism and made the statement the Apostle Paul just made in those verses, they'd be excommunicated. In a way, we're kind of the same way, right? You know the Bible says confess your sins one to another? Did you know it says that? It actually says that we're supposed to confess our sins to each other. How many of you are comfortable with that? I mean, I think some people are more comfortable doing that to me just because confidentiality and the fact that I will not I will not say anything about it. But really, for the most part, how many people are just going up to people and saying, hey, would you pray for me about this? It's a sin I'm struggling with. Would you talk about it? We don't, we don't only not like to talk about it, we like to live life in such a way as we pretend that it's not a reality. Worked on my lawnmower yesterday a little bit. You know why I worked on it? Because it became obvious to me that I had a problem. Now, my lawnmower could have a problem. I could ignore that problem, pretend it's not there. Does it take the problem away? The problem's not gone. The problem's still there, right? I'm just ignoring it. How many of you guys have ever had, come on, let's be honest. How many of you guys have ever had that yellow engine light come on in your car? And you just drive your car around for a couple weeks, a month, before you decide to go have it checked, see what the problem is? You can't take a piece of electrical tape and put it on the glass over the engine light and fix the problem. You can't fix the problem that way. There is nothing on the planet that can be fixed until it is first validated as being broken. Every human being on the planet, believer or unbeliever, we're broken. And it's important that we recognize the way that the Apostle Paul did, that he himself was not the sinner. It was the fact that the sin dwelled in him. Now, what does it do when we see sin as a possession? What's the difference between saying that a sin is a possession and saying that a sin is just what you as an individual are. Can you control who you as an individual are? Can you, core, can you control the core base of your uh, personality? Can you control that? Maybe with a lot of training you can. I'm a people watcher. Any other people watchers? I love to go places and just watch people. I find it extremely entertaining. Occasionally, I might even be considered a, uh, what are they called, stalker. If I see something interesting going on with people, I'll follow them and just watch for a while. 
because I'm just a people watcher. Um, I've met people who can't keep their mouth shut. I've met people who can't say the right thing. I've met people who can't do the right thing. And it seems like it comes off natural to them. The truth is, it's because it does come natural to them. And the, the fact is, the possession which is sin, they have allowed it to mold itself to them. So it has become a part of who they are. How many of you have ever had a habit? Ever had a habit? Those habits becomes a part of who you are. I mean, you could honestly, uh, for years, when I was a teenager, I smoked and uh, and I always smoked in the tree stand, or if I was squirrel hunting, or if I was doing specific things. And even after I quit, you know what I found out? Every time I got in a tree stand, you know what I wanted? Every time a place where I had habitually attached that thing to me, it became an issue to me when I found myself in those situations after I'd quit. comes natural. You don't even realize you're doing a lot of things you're doing because it's part of your personality. Now, sin, it's a part of your nature, but it's not a part of your personality. Sin is not what you are. Sin is what we do. Does that make sense? I'm trying to make the argument for this. Sin is a substance. It's a possession. I get to choose what to do with my possessions. Anybody in here? Sin over the last week? Please don't take me as rude. But you meant to do that. Is that fair? I mean, I'm not saying that accidental sin doesn't exist. Okay? I know that it does. But the large majority of sinfulness that's in the world today, do you really think that it's an oops? Or do you think that individuals have actually calculated in their mind what it is that they want to do? One, knowing that it's wrong. Two, knowing what God thinks about it. And then just completely disregard what, God's, what God thinks. And then does what it is they want to do anyway. Make no mistake. I mean, when we make choices, we're making those choices. We can choose not to sin doesn't mean you're going to be perfect because you're always going to have an area in your life where you choose to sin. The fact is, when Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, he gave us imputed righteousness because human righteousness is an impossibility. He created us, and I'm a big believer in free will. Big believer in free will. I think it's a cop-out for people to say, God wrote that into my destiny. That's a cop-out. We choose what to say. We choose what to do. We have the ability to be able to determine those things. And the Apostle Paul has separated, even though it's a battle, even though it's, a, it's something that we fight, it's sin fun. To use the Bible term, at least for a season, right? It's fun. That's why we want to do it. Right? I mean, if sin was no fun, would anybody really want to do it? You ever stick a knife in an electrical outlet? If you ever do, you'll have no desire to do it again. We have to first draw this conclusion, and it has to be a solid conclusion. I am broken. I'm broken. Is there parts of me that have been repaired by Jesus? Absolutely there is. 
But sometimes I think that I'm broken in more places than he heals me in. So the first thing that Paul tries to do before we get into chapter 8 is to let these people know why are you looking at someone else when you have the ability to see who you are yourself? I mean, I really never did get all these years in church, and I never really did get how an individual has enough time to critique another individual about something that they apparently know very little about. While I've been in this church, I've had people come to me and complain about people who are in particular roles. So I say, well, okay, I'll put you in that role. No, no, I don't want that. Well, then sit down and be quiet. Individuals looking at each other across the church, well, I ain't like them. Does it matter? Tell you what, I'll give you a, what can I give you? Let's slingshot. I'll give you a slingshot, okay? And then I'm going to break it before I give it to you. Can you use it? Not without fixing it. Not without fixing it. Who really has enough time to pay that close attention to another person's life? Because if we have enough time to pay that much attention to another person's life, then I guarantee you that we are neglecting ourselves. Let he who has no sin cast the first stone. Jesus used that exact same thing to get people not to stone a woman to death in the middle of the street. It's not to say we're not supposed to be our brother's keeper. It's not to say that we're not supposed to be individuals who hold one another accountable. We certainly are. But am I supposed to follow you around and watch for you to make a mistake? Is that the way we do this? The world's already doing this. The world's already watching us close, and they're watching for the purpose of us making a mistake and them having some type of justification for the way that they feel. And somebody called me a few days ago and said, hey, you can come help me work on my car. My own car needs work. I might be able to help you work on your car. But I got to take care of my car first. Here's the point that he's making here. First, or verse 1, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to let this sink in just a minute because this is a huge verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Off the table. Not a possibility. No condemnation. This isn't speaking about just judgment. This is speaking about condemnation. To condemn. Now, I know for a fact that we're all going to stand before we're all going to stand before the uh, judgment throne of Jesus Christ. We won't stand before the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgments reserved for the individuals who do not trust in Christ. But the Bible is very clear. Christians will give an account for every word that we've spoken. We know there's going to be a form of accountability. The things we said, 
the things we did, the things we didn't do when we were given the opportunity, we're going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. Fact. But even standing before God's not condemnation. You won't be condemned. If we truly trust in Christ. Why do you suppose the Bible has all of these things in it that it wants us to change? Believe it or not, it's not what society has made it. It's not so that we can appear more righteous. If anything, I think the church needs to appear more sinful. I'm not saying the church should commit more sin, but I'm saying that it should appear more sinful. We would have a whole lot easier time reaching people if we went out on the streets and told people, hey, I am a sinner just like you. The only difference between the two of us is I'm a sinner saved by grace. The pride of the local church, and that's what was going on in Rome. The pride of the local church will even be carried out to the extent of pretending that it's perfect. I told you when I was in a seminary course, one of the, a whole chapter was dedicated to, do not ever let the church know that you make mistakes. Because you guys have to have this high and mighty pious opinion of your pastor. Got news for you. I'm a sinner just like everyone else is. I make mistakes just like everybody else does. Until we're willing to set that pride aside and pay attention to what's real in life, we really can't be what Jesus wants us to be. The church always has opportunity for growth. It always needs opportunity for growth. But if a church doesn't have the ability to first focus on working out its own salvation, then what are we going to do when we do fill this place up? Believe wholeheartedly, folks. Now, we got a, quite a few folks that are just inactive, people that are still worried about this virus. and we got some people that are out of town. And we're, we're not doing terrible, considering what we've been through. But throughout 20 years of ministry here, one of my biggest fears has been that we will have individuals who will step into this church who will fall through the cracks or we will miss because we're so focused on things that really don't matter. Really don't matter. They themselves can even become downright sinful. No condemnation. How do you think it made a Jew feel when a Gentile said, you're wrong? How long? You, what do you think it made the Gentile feel like when the Jew pointed at them and said, you're wrong? I'm not saying there's no such thing as right and wrong. What I am saying is there's a whole lot of value in you as an individual knowing that there is no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. On one, on, on one hand... I'm perfect. Imputed righteousness, right? On the other hand, what was the words the Apostle Paul used? Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Why is it? The things I want to do are not the things that I do, but the things that I do not want to do. These are the things that I do. The key to this is Christ, folks. Sanctification doesn't happen just by hearing the word of God. 
Sanctification doesn't happen by sitting in a church pew. Sanctification doesn't happen by you being involved in every ministry in a church. Sanctification doesn't happen by you having relationships with a whole bunch of people inside of a church. Sanctification happens in Christ and in Christ alone. Be sanctified, set apart for a purpose. Do you have a purpose? Maybe you're still looking for what that purpose is. And I commend you if you are looking for what that purpose is and you don't know what it is. If you know what that purpose is and you've stepped up boldly to proclaim the gospel and we have many in this church who have, praise God. Are you as good at it as you could be? Always room for improvement. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You a sinner? Can I say it in the form of one of my favorite songs? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you just got away with it. You just got away with it. Justification, justified, just as if I'd never sinned in God's eyes. So which world do we live in? Do we live in the world where Jesus Christ has given his imputed righteousness to us? Or do we live in a world that continues to look at the world as if it's just going to come at us one wave at a time? I believe it was Peter that said, don't be surprised the fiery ordeal among you. The Bible's told us we're aliens in a foreign land. And how does the world treat aliens? Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. In other words, folks, we don't do what's right because it's on a list of things that are wrong. We should do what's right because the foundation of our entire life is doing what is right. In other words, we're not just looking at checking something off a list because now we've become righteous because we can follow a few rules. It was monumental to me when, I, when it dawned on me many years ago that God's not trying to force me to be a good person. He's actually trying to whittle me into something that's useful to him. That's what he's trying to do. All of these things he tells us not to do, he tells us not to do them because they are a hindrance to the gospel. All of the things he tells us to do are things to do because there are things that progress the gospel. Progress is not something supposed to be held on to. It's supposed to be something that's shared. I remember the day that I never, never ever thought that I would be able to go door to door and knock on somebody's door. Still not completely comfortable with it, but I can do it. The thought of standing up and publicly speaking, being a preacher, I mean, this is a God thing. I passed out in fifth grade by sharing an essay. Scared to death of speaking in public. How 
how happy would we all be <clears throat> if we had the ability just to hold on to Christ Jesus has set you free? We still beat ourselves up over things we did years ago. We probably beat ourselves up over something we did last week. The mistakes we make don't define us. If anything, they're an opportunity for us to learn. Didn't go so well that time? <clears throat> Look at what you were doing. How is it line up side by side with the scripture? Do it again. Just do it differently. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as, it, weak as it is, or as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, here four again. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I don't know if I preached this a while back or if it was in a Bible study that I did. Um, figure out a way to say that. If I say I don't live according to the law in the flesh, that could honestly raise some eyebrows in Christian circles, right? Because in Christian circles, we're a bunch of rule followers. So we're supposed to be, right? I mean, every time, every time, when so, when, if I walked up to you and I said, hey, what is the law? How many of you would take me to the book of Exodus and show me what the law was in the form of Ten Commandments? That's where everybody goes, right? You see, the work of the Spirit in the individual, the person who walks by the Spirit, the person who is walking, <clears throat> and walking with the Spirit means the Spirit goes with you everywhere you go. That he's involved in every choice that we make, he's involved with everything that we do, he's involved with every part of our life. Um, is, there a, is there a commandment about Committing adultery? There is. Pretty straightforward, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? When Jesus came along, what did he say? He says, the forefather said that if a man lies with another woman's, uh, with another man's wife, that he's not, that, that, or he or she's an adulterer. But I say to you, that if you look up on another woman with lust in your eyes, which one's more specific? The commandment or the life in the spirit? The life in the spirit. What a lot of people don't get is those Ten Commandments, they were addressing two main things. And I preached that message not too long ago. Maybe it'll come around uh, again sometime. Uh, those commands are split. The first commands address our relationship with God. The second group of commands, they affect our relationship with other people. In order to effectively 
be part of the purpose and the plan that God's called us to in order for us to effectively be individuals that are going to be able to be relationship builders. We have to be individuals who recognize that everything that God has asked us to do is for the betterment of other people. Why do you suppose he says we're supposed to make everybody else more important than ourselves? Why is everybody else supposed to be the priority? Why do I have to take the back seat? Because God's concerned about everybody. And I've explained before, if we understand this, then I know that if I take care of you guys, that you guys are also going to take care of me. I'm talking about spiritually. So this doesn't leave me out. It makes me everybody else's priority. We have to be individuals who come to understand that Christ genuinely made us free. You can make a wrong choice today, and Jesus nailed that wrong choice to Calvary 2,000 years ago. You're going to make a mistake tomorrow. Jesus, as weird as this sounds, the mistake you make tomorrow was nailed to Calvary 2,000 years ago. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, it is spiritually, hear this, impossible for the penalty of sin to affect you. Impossible. Because living out the requirement of the law in the flesh is what Christ's job was. When he died, living life in all of its perfection, he's the one that fulfilled the law for us on our behalf. I'm going to close in a minute. But I want us to go just a little bit farther. Verse 5 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I don't like hanging out in places where people are doing things that Jesus doesn't agree with. Very uncomfortable in those situations. One, either I'm going to sit there and just fume, or two, I'm going to say something, and the latter is probably most likely. We're so unhappy in the world we live in today because we live in the flesh. We walk in the flesh. We're not walking by faith, we're walking by sight. We see the bills piling up. We see the potential threat with this virus. We see uh, the potential threat of automobiles. We see the potential threat of flus. We see the potential threat through people passing away. We see the potential. There's potential threat everywhere. The fact is, there isn't much you could look at. You can look this way, 
You can look this way. You can spin in a circle and look all the way around you. If your eyes don't look up at any point, this is one of the most depressing lifestyles because all we see is what this world has to offer. type of life doesn't please God. It can't please God. You know why? God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When we get into those spots where we're walking in the flesh, what are we really telling God? I don't trust you. Could you imagine? The creator of the universe, and we become so pompous and pious that we're willing to say, I don't trust you. Faith. Where is it? We don't believe his promises. We don't believe he's capable of doing anything that he wants to. We're not willing to accept whatever his purpose and his plan is. That's pretty much... That's just defiant. Can we agree? Bad things happen in this world. But if we're individuals who walk in the Spirit, we'll always see the good and the bad. And the good always outweighs the bad. Betty Link passed away. Does that make that difficult? You better believe it does. Missy Orr passed away. Does that make things difficult? You better believe that it does. And if that's all you had to go on, that's enough to put you to bed for the rest of your life. But we have the promise, the promise that the Bible says Jesus fulfilled on Calvary. We're not defeated. As Christians, we can't be defeated. I've stood up here many times before and said, look, folks, I look forward to the day I die. I do. I mean, you always have that little bit of attachment. You know, I got grandbabies. Chances are I got more coming probably pretty soon. Madeline wants a baby so bad that... I told her, I said, I'm marking my calendar. Ten months, we're going to have another baby. There is so much that this life in Christ has to offer. And if we want unity, it has to, it has to spring from doctrine. Doctrine is what tells us to be humble. Doctrine is what tells us that we're supposed to be individuals who are keeping it real. Doctrine is what continues to give us the instruction we need to operate by. Doctrine should be our focus. And the more we know it, the more we memorize it, the more useful it is. I used to tell you, I walked doors, somebody cussed me out and told me I'd better never come back again. The first time that ever happened to me, I turned around with my, hit my chin against my chest, feeling really horrible. Until I did come to the realization that it's not my responsibility to save people. It's just my responsibility to give people the gospel that has the power to save them. It's amazing that when I took that piece of doctrine and I applied it to that situation, it's amazing how I walked away from the next door when I got cussed out. Because the victory wasn't in them converting. The victory was in the gospel being proclaimed at all. When I was a youth pastor, I used to take I used to take that stuff and still take it somewhat seriously, but not seriously like I did back then. I, I seriously felt the weight, the responsibility of whatever choice a teenager would make. 
if they went out and did something that was really dumb, I kind of felt responsible for it. Was there something I should have taught, something that I didn't teach, something I should have taught differently? Was there something that we walk in the Spirit, folks? We have the Holy Spirit leading us. And although you may come across things in life that will make you second guess, the fact is there's no better place to, to, to keep it. There's no better place to look for your advice. There's no better place to look for your example. There's no better place to look for anything than to look for it in the body of Christ. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. For two or more gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. I'll never leave you or forsake you. If God's willing to feed the sparrows, is he not willing to take care of you? Every bit of doctrine is chocked full. And I'm going to tie it up with this. The more we come to know doctrine, peace is just a side effect. The peace that passes all understanding, to be able to go to bed at night, lay your head down on a pillow, and, and to be able to say, Lord, I did the best I could today. I thank you that you have the ability to take what I am not capable of doing and you turn it into something that has value. If we come to be individuals who know the doctrine, who allow that doctrine to take its place where it should be in our heart, to extend itself through our hands, through our feet, through the things we say and the things we do, then we will be people who are relationship-focused. And guess what Christians are, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ? Guess what kind of focus Christians are supposed to have when it comes between us and Christ? It's not an authoritarian relationship. It's not a dictatorship. It's a relationship. It's me talking to him and him talking back. It's the Spirit making our choices for us. The only thing that's got to get out of the way is that pompous, prideful attitude that is not willing to admit that we're broken. That's where it all starts. My wife's probably expecting me to go to 10 after, so she's... Oh, there she is. <clears throat> if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Cannot save you, but I can't introduce you to the one who can if we need to do it across the church, over the phone, if you need to talk, the Holy Spirit moves you, please don't hesitate. Believers, this passage of Scripture is chocked full of stuff for us. And the main thing about this is do not let your opinion destroy your life. Step out of the flesh. Step into the Spirit. Accept what the Bible has told us, that when Jesus Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. Bask in the glory of that. Continue to learn what the Bible has to say. And continue to just be willing to be that instrument that Jesus Christ has called to use in whatever capacity that he chooses to. That's really what Christianity is about. It's not about warming a pew cushion. Not about just going to the meals and eating. It's about encouraging the discouraged, strengthening the weak, helping those who are in need. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, 
you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.